We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner in Possible. KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the KC Laboratory Live, breaking down the Jaguars versus the Chiefs, brought to you by our good friends at Emprise Bank. An Emprise Bank debit card is great anywhere in the world. You have access to 55000 thousand fee-free atms worldwide through the all point atm network you can get the same kind of access to your money at any bank across the country while getting the value of working with a trusted partner in emprise emprise has been our trusted partner in possible we appreciate them sponsoring this podcast bringing it to us every single week and allowing us to do this and i am so thankful that i get to do this with my good pal Maddie Lane, Maddie, my friend, how are we doing tonight? That's right, guys. We chased off Kent Swanson. We said, get your cough <laughs> out of here. The people are tired of hearing you apologize for coughing. We want you out now. Actually, he's We he's want suspended. you to stop apologizing. Just cough he's, as loud as you can. Suspend, directly he suspended mic. for his transition last uh, earlier this week. Um, <laughs> he, he got a suspension for that uh, transition from uh, Monday. No, he's doing good. He'll be back with us next week. I'm excited. You know, this, this is a fun game. I like Doug Peterson. Jaguars mm-hmm. are a fun team. The Jaguars were kind of like a team you were pretty high on coming into the year, if I remember yeah. right, when we did our season uh, preview. So I'm sure you're a little uh, geeked up for this one and to watch that old uh, Trevor Lawrence-led offense. I am. And, you know, I I mean, let, let's just dive in. We, we can dive in on that side of the ball. I think that's the one that I, I, I think when you watch these games, clearly that's where the talent is. Um, a lot of people wondering, you know, Trevor Lawrence fall off. Is this, you know, a step back for him? 
Is he not playing like the number one overall pick, et cetera, et cetera. When I watch the games, um, yeah, I see a man who can still throw the ball with plenty of velocity, plenty of touch, and can escape. He's got plenty of mobility. They use him in the read option game really well. I see a guy that could be that guy. It's just this offense is so disjointed. It, it is so uh, all the technical elements of everything about it are just missing. Like Doug Peterson is doing some interesting things. Last week against the Raiders, he comes out in a 13 personnel snap with one of his tight ends in the backfield. So treating it like 21 personnel or 22 personnel, the, the defense did. Then the tight end motions and lines up to the left of the up back in the backfield. So they got two blocking backs out in space, get Travis Etienne on the edge and it works pretty well, but the offensive line lets him down. Like the, the, the little, the mile markers along the way aren't hit. The screen game is creative. But the offensive line, when they get in front of it, they just can't hold a block, can't maintain anything, aren't getting to the mile markers when you expect. Maddie, I don't know how much of the Jags offense you've watched this year, but it's just, it's a lot of fun concepts and a lot of fun players and just lacking the overall execution and technique, at least when I sit down and I watch it. They're a young team. Um, I think that's what it boils down to is they're, they're a young team that doesn't know how to execute on a down in and down out basis. I think they're such just over their overview of the offense. Is, I think I agree with you. There's a lot of fun. There was, there's electric pieces along there. I mean, what mm-hmm. ETN, which I was ETN is now doing is a blast. Trevor so Lawrence fun. can still make throws with anybody and I don't love their receiver group, but there's talent there, right? And same thing with the mm-hmm. offensive line. I don't love it, but there's enough talent there. But they're just so young that when things don't necessarily go according to plan, when things don't follow the script on the sheet, it does seem to unravel a little bit. And that's honestly where my thoughts are on Trevor Lawrence as well. I, I can see the talent, but I would not be ready to throw my hat in the ring that Trevor Lawrence is ever going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL based on what we've seen. I just, I, I see the physical talent. I don't know if I feel like he's ready to say that step yet. And I think that is ultimately where the Jaguars offense stalls out. It's just, they're young. There's still mistakes. They don't know how to do it yet. And you don't know how to do it until you've gotten there, but they certainly haven't gotten there now. And I think that extends doubly true for their quarterback right now. Yeah, definitely the case. He misses throws still. And there are, there are things that he, some of his decisions are woo. Ooh, yeah, they they are rough. And then on top of that, he's still really struggling to set protections. Um, this is this is a bad week to see Steve Spagnolo on your schedule. Uh, delayed blitzes uh, last week against the Raiders were getting home at an outrageous clip. And the Raiders aren't necessarily a great blitzing team. It's not like they got a whole bunch of dynamic players on the second level there that are going to close the gap and you know be able to shoot through tiny windows and things like that. The, the Jaguars are getting fooled by guys that were just like mugged up in the A gap and dropping out. And then somebody else would come blitzing off the edge and just home free all game long. Now, Trevor Lawrence has the mobility to slip some of those and get out in space. And then he makes a poor decision. So, I mean, it, it's just all kind of compounded by that. He is definitely a work in progress. I'm with Matty. I don't see a guy that you're like, man, he, he's in that. Yeah, I'm not going to throw him in the Patrick LeBron Mahomes tier, but he's not even like you don't look at him and go, man, I, I see a little bit of Herbert in his game. 
you know, no, you, he's clearly a tier below that. Now, that being said, he might be in that very next tier below that. And it's purely because of the physical talents of him. Now, I think part of the reason I was so high on the Jaguars throughout the season was Doug Peterson, Dougie P out there coaching the quarterbacks. I expected some growth and frankly, I haven't seen it. Like it it hasn't been there so far this year. And that worries me a little bit. Doug's a hell of a quarterback coach. He's gotten the most out of guys in shorter windows of time than this. Do, do we think that this is just because they're a young team? There, there are so many mistakes and so many errors that they're having to just kind of coach everything and smooth it all over that he's not having the time to focus on the quarterback position because Ooh. I haven't seen the growth this year. Buddy, well, let me let me tell you this. Doug Peterson, I think he's out here wheeling and I think he's dealing. Jaguars in the first quarter this year, eighth in mm-hmm. the NFL, 5.4 points per quarter. Cool. Jaguars in the third quarter, coming out of halftime, sixth in the NFL at 5.7 points per quarter. Interesting. They seem hmm. to start off with the dead period a little hot. What do we think they are in the second quarter? 25th in the NFL. It's still 5.8 points, but 25th in the NFL in scoring in the second quarter. Fourth quarter, 20th. So Ugh. while every team is picking up a little bit, they start to slack off. When you The further away you get from what you would classify as Doug Peterson schemed up or scripted plays coming right out of half with adjustments – or into a game with adjustments, they are falling behind the average in the NFL. There's a stark difference in their offense in the first and third quarter versus the second and fourth. Now, I do think part of that goes back to what I'm saying. It's a young team. They don't know how to execute highly in situational football. But I think even when you watch the game, I think the, their, their London game was a prime example. Kind of once they got off that quick script and it kind of became, okay, guys, we now have to go make these plays. They didn't look necessarily lost, but a little out of control. So I I think Doug Peterson is doing great. I just think this team is still learning how to do it when they're not operating off of what he pushes out in front of them to say, hey, here's your game script for the week. And I think that also shows up in the red zone. This is a team, third down conversion, they're top 10 in the NFL. When they get mm-hmm. to the red zone, 21st in touchdown percentage or scoring percentage. No, no, yeah, touchdown percentage. They are not, you know, they're okay, below average at scoring touchdowns, but they're really good on third downs. I think just when it comes down to making these young players execute, when they have to execute and Doug isn't giving them the straight up winners, it gets a little bit more iffy. That's just my read on what their offense is right now. No, it definitely looks that way. Like that, that's when the most tantalizing stuff comes out, at least for me, when I'm watching their games. Like I, I, I see it as you know a, a group that clearly has fun stuff and clearly can scheme things open and some of the stuff that they do with like some of their wide zone pitch work and everything like that run a lot of gap scheme stuff that they that they get etn into space and since they moved on from travis or from james robinson and it's basically the travis etn show it has been so much fun so much fun to watch what he's doing but you also see them lose a lot of games. Now, I, I think that that's a kind of a testament to what they're doing there because they don't get blown out. This isn't a team that like gets run over by anybody that they've played this season. Everything has been close. Like they they have been competitive at each and every one of those games. And so yeah, those numbers line up. That's how they're competitive. Come out at the start of the game hot. Come out at the half hot, and then they just can't hold on. Can't stay in you know in the pocket for that amount of time make mistakes. Trevor Lawrence has had lots of fumbling issues. I mean, just some awful fumbling issues this season. And so, yeah, turnovers are killing them as well. 
I just see a team again, like like you said there, that has glimpses, and it does tend to be in those early quarters there, and then it just kind of it, it's not necessarily that they're getting figured out by a defensive coordinator. Certainly, defensive coordinators make adjustments to try and take things away, but they also then lack some of the execution. It's almost like they hammer on like the first 15 really hard every single week. And the rest of it is just not there. You're not, you're not seeing the practice there. I, I think one of the things that shows up the most, and I'm, I'm going to pick on him a little bit here. Brandon Scherf quits on so many plays. Like Brandon Scherf is a guy I've been around for a long time, you know, made a lot of money as an offensive lineman here. Brandon Scherf will get to the point that he needs to get to, and you'll see him, you know, like with a safety, he'll come up on a screen or something like that. Safety will come up, Brandon Scherf will come up, he'll hit him, and then it just kind of quit. And then, you know, the safety's not not engaged during that time. Safety goes around and makes the tackle. And it just it's details. It's detail oriented. It's almost like everybody's just kind of going through the motions. And it's not it's the finishing isn't there. The 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 commitment to it for four quarters isn't there. And I, I that lines up a little bit with what you're saying there, Maddie. I think so. And now Brandon Scherf should be one of their veteran leaders. I understand that they paid him to bring him in, but this is like an all-new coaching staff, a lot of new pieces. Part of having him in that building is to be that, be a leader, be a guy leading by example. And yeah, if he's not <laughs> able to, you know, give 110% every play that that maybe rubs off on other guys. And I, I think it's really interesting, like just kind of you brought him up. And I soon we, you know, we have to transition a little bit to how the Chiefs will stop this offense. Hmm. But just looking at the Jaguars in totality right now, their offensive line, or I guess their passing attack in general, third lowest sack percentage in the NFL mm-hmm. this year. They don't get sacked. Trevor Lawrence doesn't get sacked a lot. But you watch some games, and it seems like the offensive line's a problem. You watch some games, and it seems like Trevor Lawrence feels like he's under pressure a lot whether he is or isn't. So something just isn't quite coming together at all ends. Like, and you see, like you mentioned, glimpses here, pieces there. They just haven't found a way to tie it all together. I think that's why they're blowing leads. That's why they're losing close games that they have a chance to win. It's all the recipe right there. It's just when you don't have a veteran quarterback, when you don't have your, when your veteran offensive lineman isn't doing these things to go the extra mile, you have a super young defense that doesn't necessarily have that guy. Like, who are you leaning on to get things done in these situations? Brandon Scherf is supposed to be one of those guys. If he's not playing like it this year, which he hasn't, like he's been a fine player, but when he's not playing like that guy that's going to push you over the edge, when he's not bringing in to command that room and get everybody focused and on the right page. That, that's a tough look. That's a tough sell going forward just for everybody else out to be like, okay, we're looking to you, the veteran presence on how to win. And you're like, eh, I don't really know how to either. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. And I, I think part of the reason the sack rate is so low is Trevor Lawrence gets rid of the ball really fast. He's eighth in the NFL <laughs> in time to throw, uh, you know, shortest time to throw for per NFL next gen stats. Like, they don't want to hold on to the ball any quicker. And it makes sense with their receiving weapons. You know, it's not like they're drawn up a whole bunch of long developing plays for a whole bunch of slot receivers and tight ends. Like they're getting the ball out quick, trying to throw a lot of bubbles, trying to throw a lot of, you're trying to run a lot of RPOs and things like that. It, it makes perfect sense why he's getting the ball out quick. This isn't Tom Brady. Who's just scared of being hit. Like this, this is generally the offense. It's the scheme that's getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And yet it does still feel like he's pressured all the time like it feels like he's constantly under duress and that causes his 
It causes his footwork to get loose, causes him to make mistakes. I mean, you see a lot of instances where he's just missing dudes undercutting things. So it's not, it's not that he's a bad quarterback necessarily. It's that playing within the scheme, trying to get the ball out quickly, and then having an offensive line that's not picking it up like at all is a recipe for death. And I mean, if we're talking about recipes for death, we should throw to our next ad right here. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I have to tell you about some of these strange tall boys of beer that you might see in the bottled water section of your favorite store. Well, it's not actually beer. It's a liquid mountain spring water company from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. And you might be wondering, Tucker, why is it called Liquid Death? Well, let me tell you, it's because they'll brutally murder your thirst. That's right. Not only are they going to brutally murder your thirst, they are going to brutally murder plastic pollution in the process. It's wonderful with their infinitely recyclable aluminum cans. They also donate 10% of their proceeds from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. It's great. They've got four flavors. They have regular sparkling water. They've got still water, which is the mountain spring water. And they have uh, mango. They have uh, berry flavored. And they also have the one I like here, the severed lime. I'm going to go ahead and crack it on open. And you can get a liquid death at your local Target, Walmart, 7-Eleven, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store located tool at liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're going to throw it to how the Chiefs stop all this, Maddie. Uh, let, let's start with Travis Etienne. I think that's the that's the most dynamic piece on this offense. I think that's the guy that is most in jeopardy of causing damage to the Chiefs defense right now, especially how their run defense has been lately. So give me your takes on how you think the Chiefs should stop Travis Etienne. Hope Frank Clark is back, so you have your best defensive <laughs> he's not, end. He's not going to be set, back. He's not going to be setting back. Setting the edge, <laughs> you get you get the you get the defensive end that can probably you know hold contain on this explosive running back who is beating quite literally everyone around the corner. Um, Derrick Henry was a rough matchup for the Chiefs just because he's a good runner, but what the Titans do on the ground kind of plays into what the Chiefs want to see. 
that outside zone stuff. And yes, there was some big plays in the first half, but you could see the Chiefs had answers and it's still what they want to deal with. They would much rather you try to single block everybody, just work it up to the next level, trying to hit these, you know, these cutback lanes. That's what their defense is essentially prepared for. What they're not prepared for is getting to the outside quickly. What they're not prepared for is if a team is going to run some gap stuff or some man stuff, and the Jaguars mix it up a little bit with Etienne, but what they really do is they get him going on the outside a lot. They're not trying to stretch you horizontally to hit a cutback back to the inside. No, no, no. They are trying to get him on the edge, and they have two athletic tackles that are also able to pull and get on the edge. So They run a lot of pin-pull stuff getting uh, Cam Robinson or Jawan Taylor out outside the tackle box and getting them out in front of ETN and then letting him make moves off of him. So it really is going to be up to one defensive ends are going to have to be aware when guys are coming down to pin them inside. That's number one. You have to be aware when a tight end or a wide receiver is aligned close enough to pin you on the inside. Like that's step one. Step two, linebackers are going to have to get up and they're going to have to get moving Mm. quicker than they normally do. Right. You you might have to risk overrunning some stuff and hope the backside of your defensive line or hope the backside linebacker can close down the cutback lanes because you're not catching ETN to the corner. If that defensive end loses contained, if he's not there to hold contained, you're not catching up to this guy. This Derrick Henry's fast once he builds up speed. Some of these other running backs they've faced out there, even Christian McCaffrey, he's fast. He's not Travis ETN fast the way Travis ETN's moving right now, right? So these guys are going to have you ready to unlock their hips and get going really early because ETN wants to get to the outside. The Jaguars are scheming it up really, really well. And without Frank Clark, that means you have the potential to run either direction off the defensive line. Yeah, and that, I think that that's kind of the underrated thing about Frank is that he's disciplined enough with some of the stuff that they're throwing. And Doug is going to throw a ton of stuff at, at this Chiefs defense. He's disciplined enough to where teams – We'll kind of go away from him. Just be like, eh, let's attack the other guy. Like we, we, we feel more confident that he's not going to get to the edge. He's not going to pull off something that gets there. So it makes it a little easier for the Chiefs to funnel things. But that's not going to be the case. Like Maddie said, he's going to hit both sides of this. As I want, I'm going to read this off. Week five, Jacksonville against Houston. From then on, these are the ga- these are the yards per carry <laughs> by Travis Etienne: seven point oh, no. one, eight point six. 8.2, 6.5. Last week was his lowest yards per carry in a long time. It was 3.89 against the Las Vegas Raiders. Not a great run defense by any means. Rushed 28 times, his most yet for 109 yards. Clearly is an explosive player and a maintained explosive player. That's, we're not talking about like, a handful of carries there. I mean, these are double digit carries, 14, 24 carries. Like there's going to be all kinds of space for this to work. So yes, those defensive ends, Carlos Dunlap, Mike Dana have to get upfield, have to be able to shut that down. The safeties have to run the alley and be able to stack blocks against these tight ends. When the Jaguars are going to use heavy personnel, they definitely love to do it. You're going to see a lot more instances where, you're going to have the safety one-on-one in the alley. Now, obviously, I like Justin Reed and Juan Thornhill's chances against Travis Etienne better than I like them against or against Derrick Henry because he's he's a monster, but it's still got to be gap sound, and that's what they struggled with 
this past week, especially in the first half until they started switching to some of those bare fronts, mugged up looks, kicking the defensive ends out, not having the safeties try and take tight ends. I'm wondering if we're going to see more of that to start the game. If Steve Spagnuolo just gets to the point here where he says, hey, listen, teams are going to run a lot of 12, 21, 22, 13 personnel against us. They're going to keep us in base. And we're not doing a particularly good job of winning our one-on-ones up front. So let's switch to more of a bare front. Let's tighten things up. Let's prevent the guards from climbing quickly and then try and scrape our safeties over the top of the outside to try and pin everything to the inside and just kind of narrow everything down and funnel everything to the middle. It, it More of like a, a run defense by committee, which it always is, but trying to build a wall rather than trying to just gain penetration, get into the backfield and make a stop there. I'm curious to see if, any of the stuff that we saw in the second half, those adjustments occur because you're also selling out a little bit against the run. And I don't know that I love doing that. I mean, Eddie, we just got done talking about Trevor Lawrence, but they can still throw the ball around the yard. They can. Um, I guess here's the good thing about the Jaguars. They don't, they don't do a ton of play action, right? I think, uh, it was right now there's only 55 pass attempts from Trevor Lawrence against uh, play action. According to pro football reference, I think they're pretty strict at what they consider a true play action play. So like it has to be, I do believe like actual back to the defense and doing it. They're not counting anything that might be like an RPO that has no real read. Anyway, they don't do a ton of play action passing. So I do think that helps the chiefs defense a little bit. You're not, overly worried about being sucked up versus the run and then beat over the top. Now, when they do go play action, they're averaging 10 yards roughly per attempt. So like they're getting chunks when they do it. It's just, they aren't killing teams with their ability off play action. So I think that does help. And then on the other side that helps, I look at the the Jaguars receiving weapons. And then I look at the, the chiefs secondary. Yeah. I feel pretty good. Yeah. I feel, I feel pretty good about what this chief secondary looks like against this Jacksonville Jaguars uh, back, uh, wide receiver group now, especially if Legarius Steed can play, which as of right now, I'm assuming he is going to play. Right, you put him in the slot versus Christian Kirk or Evan Ingram, it really doesn't matter to me. I feel completely fine there. And Zay Jones, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty much. Uh, Zay Jones does nothing, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, any of the Joneses, they don't do anything on the outside. I'm excited to hopefully see Trent McDuffie get challenged a little bit more by a team that will air it out more than the Titans did because they will throw it around but I don't see a glaring mismatch that I have to be afraid of as a Chiefs fan. So I'm hoping some of these young guys get challenged, but I'm also feel good that it's a nice ease into kind of what the rest of the NFL season is going to be. I, I don't think the Jaguars passing weapons should really impact, you know, should beat up on the Chiefs secondary. You add on to that, you get out of the first scripted plays and you get mm-hmm. out of that first drive in the third quarter, which I assume the Jaguars will find some success because that's where they've been good all year long you get past those kind of two three drives right there i'm hoping the secondary can really lock them down and allow the defense to play more aggressive versus the run like they were able to do later on in that tennessee titans game yeah i i expect we're gonna see plenty of man coverage i really do uh we we saw plenty against the tennessee titans now obviously those weapons and malik willis are not instilling fear like that's one of those is you, you get beat you get beat sort of situations because spagnola was selling out against the run i don't expect that level of sellout but 
I also expect that the Chiefs will take more chances with blitzes. Like I mentioned, this offensive line is not good at identifying them. Trevor Lawrence, not good at identifying them and picking them up. So I think that there will be free rushers. I think there will be hits on Trevor Lawrence. And in order to do that on the back end, Spagnuolo wants to play more man coverage. He wants to not you know, zone blitz. He wants to be able to man up, take away the quick, take away the hot routes, and force the quarterback to have to eat the throw a little bit. And I, I think... With Trent McDuffie out there, Legereus Sneed playing in the slot, and eat it regardless of if it's Jalen Watson or Joshua Williams, whoever happens to be rotating in that drive, I think that either one of those guys is capable of handling the receiver opposite them in this particular game. I think this is a good game after that Titans game to kind of get some experience. They're going to run route combinations at him. It's not just going to be go balls up the sideline. There's going to be stuff that you're going to see. There's going to be multiple combinations that they're going to try and throw at them. Doug Peterson's going to try and get guys open, run, you know, mesh routes, try and have pick routes, try and force guys to work over stuff, call man beaters. If this Chiefs defense can still play those well and lock it up with a good secondary, I think that there are plenty of opportunities for the Chiefs to blitz, get guys in there on in Trevor Lawrence's face and start forcing him to be a little bit more rattled, wanting to get the ball out quickly. And then Steve Spagnuolo can kind of tee off, play on the short game a little bit. So I am fully expecting that this Chiefs defense will find some success or some success. I do think that the Jaguars are going to move the ball. I mean, I, I, I actually think that this is a really good back and forth matchup and uh, potential for both teams to find some success either through the air, on the ground. So, I, I, Maddie, if you don't have anything more, we can move on to players for what to players to watch for this side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I I am with you. I'll touch on anything else I have in the score prediction. Um, so okay. yeah, players to watch. I'm gonna go first. Nicholas Bolton is my player to watch. In this game, the Chiefs are gonna need more than one splashy play in the fourth quarter from Nick Bolton to win this game to stop the Jaguars' rushing attack. To stop the Jaguars and Travis Etienne, Nick Bolton will have to show up with his splashy play, not in the fourth quarter, but earlier in the game. He cannot get bullied around. He cannot be late getting to the tackle box. He cannot let offensive linemen free climb up to him and push him eight yards down the field and then recover by making one run stop late in the second half. Those run stops have been huge. They have been momentum swinging, huge plays for Nick Bolton. They really have, and they have helped the Chiefs team but everything that's happened in the three and a half quarters before those plays has been bad. And I think the way this Jaguars rushing attack is set up, the speed and how dynamic it is, if that is the case through three and a half quarters again this week, the Jaguars will move the ball with absolute ease against this Chiefs uh, Chiefs defense. I think he's ETN and this Jaguars rushing attack is more dangerous against the Chiefs defense than the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry were. Woof. Woof. I'll 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 hear it from the diversity of that standpoint. And please, Steve, do everything you can to make sure that Willie's kicking out on ETN and flat. Please, 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 please. That man is fast. Uh, that's not Nick's forte. So please make sure Willie's in the flat. My player to watch this week is going to seem like an obvious one, but I'm doing it anyway. Chris Jones. Um, Chris Jones has had a good year. I, I don't want to say that he's had a bad year by any means. I think it's been a quieter year but a more consistent year for Chris Jones. And I think what we're going to see is Jaguars are going to try and move him off the spot. 
They're going to try and get him in single blocks in the run game. And that has its advantages and it doesn't. Um, I don't know that the Jaguars guards are good enough to really take advantage of him in those regards. And I don't know that they're especially good enough to be able to down block, you know, with a tackle or something like that when they do try and pull, try and get these GH counters and things like that, that we do like to see them get to the edge. I think Chris Jones is going to be living in the backfield at this game because he's going to be able to beat up on these guys in the pass game. I think he's going to be able to chase down and blow some stuff up in the run game as well. I actually think this is a, one of the splashier Chris Jones games, just based on watching this offensive line, watching them try and pick stuff up and watching them having to deal with guys that are really good. They haven't had to deal with too many of them on the interior so far, but the guys that are good on the interior, they have really struggled against. I think this is a Chris Jones breakout game. And I I think it's one that you look at and you say, Hey, that's finally the guy that, that we've been waiting for all year long, even though he has been much better all season long. But I think you start seeing him add to a sack tally. I think you start seeing him boost his value even more. You know, he's obviously in a contract year here, more or less. I know he's got one more on there, but it's a massive one. Chiefs are either going to have to extend him or they're going to have to trade him. So he's really playing for value here. And speaking of trade... Here's our next sponsor. Hey, sorry to interrupt again, but I've got to tell you about our sponsor, Trade Coffee. And going to a coffee shop is a great experience, but it's not something most of us can do every day. If you're looking for that delicious local coffee shop taste on a daily basis, it's so much easier to get that with Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so easy for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment needed. It's wonderful. Whether you know what you're doing and you already know what kind of coffee you like or you're looking and you need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans or however you make it your coffee at home. They will send it to you. It's absolutely perfect. It's a win-win in my book there. Here's how you got to do it. You're going to upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering listeners a total of $30 off their subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash KCSN. That's drinktrade.com slash KCSN for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Drinktrade.com slash KCSN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay. Well, that was that. Um, for all those of you behind the curtain, uh, Maddie was going to take that read and I found <laughs> it out after I threw it to the read. So, um, man, I'm, I'm sure it was going to be a great one, Maddie. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yep. But... Now everybody just has to sit back and wonder how I was going to top uh, Kent from earlier this week. Oh, no. So oh, if, that, if that's now, what you were going for, buddy, now, I'm glad I took it. <laughs> we have to move on to the offense. Yes. The side of the football that matters. Um, I guess first, you know, we should touch on the Jaguars defense and um, what they are, which I'm not sure what they are. They're really young. Yeah. 
they they move really fast. They fly around the football field. They like to hit. They like to run. But are they good, Craig? I they're very fun. I <laughs> I enjoy watching them play defense because they do. They fly. They fly around. Josh Allen is a bona fide stud. Like he really is. He's a he's an excellent pass rusher. But Trevon Walker, opposite of him, has been pretty good. Like he's dynamic. Devin Lloyd has looked pretty good. Devin Lloyd looks better than I thought he would. I know he's a first-round pick, but I was not high on Devin Lloyd. And he's been pretty good this season. I mean, I like Devon Hamilton. I like Tyson Campbell. I, I liked Andre, Andre Cisco. These guys are all just flying around. They're making plays. And I think that's what it is. I think you know it feels like when you're just watching these games, it just feels like there are chunk plays that they give up. There are consistent plays that they give up. And, you know, the Vegas Raiders were able to move the ball easily against this team. So it, it's not like they're an especially locked down defense by any means, but then they make splash plays. They'll come up with a turnover. They'll come up with a forced fumble. They'll come up with a couple sacks in a row and stall out drives. It reminds me of some of those Spagnolo defenses that we were like, okay, we're pretty sure they're good. Like, we're pretty sure they're okay or better than we thought they were, giving up a lot of yards, but they're keeping points off the board. I mean, the Jaguars, like we said, they haven't allowed teams to run away from them, and part of that's because they do have drives where they just look really good, and they fly around, and they make impact plays and force defense or forced offenses to stall out time and time again. So I, I, they're not good, but they're fun as hell. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's a pretty good representation of, of what they are. They're, they're consistently like average or below average, but they don't, they don't get there by just playing at that level. There's a lot of really bad and there's a lot of really good. Then there'll be a stretch where they're at that level. It's, they're all over the place, similar to how their offense is all over the place. Right. So like, I'm just, you know, going through some of the stats right now um in terms of points they're 11th so points against they are 11th in the nfl but then you start looking okay turnovers 18th um first downs given up 17th passing yards the 22nd touchdown 16th rushing yards seventh good rush defense it's just scoring percentage 20 they're not good right like i'm just reading off stats at this point in time great podcasting i'm aware but like i just want to drive home they're not like a good defense but they make enough plays that they function well enough that it's not a pushover team then i think craig alluded to why these guys are fast they have a bunch of young athletic players that fly around they make plays what they're doing defensively is hard to really put your thumb on and pin it down and find a way to attack it so yeah there's a lot of stuff that goes there that means you start looking through kind of who they are chiefs fans are very aware who josh allen the defensive end is they wanted Mm -hmm. to trade for him he's not even got the most sacks on this team right now that would be Dwayne smoot who rushes across from him sometimes because the other guy that rushes across from him trevon walker you may have heard of him the number one overall pick in the draft like they have a guys up front that rush the passer. They have corners that have been high draft picks. They have safeties that have made plays. Their linebacker room is guys that have performed really well. Athletes at every single position, it's just like offense. They're still trying to figure out how to tie it all together a little bit. I guess like my, my biggest question for Craig, do, do you think the Chiefs should be afraid of this team's pass rush? Um. I don't know if afraid. They've certainly seen better pass rushes this year. Not that the Jaguars' pass rush is bad by any means. I actually I like a lot of it. The the sum of the parts is even better than the individual pieces, and the individual pieces are pretty good. But 
They don't have a Nick Bosa. They don't have a Joey Bosa. They don't have a guy that can fully take over a game and be a true game wrecker. And so the way that the Chiefs handle stuff, yeah, they they dealt with diverse fronts that can kind of win with multiple different guys up front there. It's the guys that are the true game wreckers that they seem to struggle with. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, the the Bosa's, the you know guys like that, that the Von Millers, they they struggle finding matchups, shifting help the way that they need to to those specific guys routinely. I don't know that they're going to necessarily need to shift help. Now that doesn't mean that Orlando Brown Jr. is going to lock down the left side and there's going to be no pressure coming or anything like that, but it's not going to be consistent. I think that Patrick Mahomes will have a better pocket than we got to see against the Titans because the Titans did an awesome job of beating up on this and Jeffrey Simmons was a monster on the inside. I don't know that you're going to see a smoot. I don't know that you're going to see Josh Allen, Trevon Walker win consistently enough to where Patrick Mahomes is going to be bailing from clean pockets, going to be forcing throws, going to be stalling out the offense in the way that that's how we typically see this happen. When games go bad for the chiefs, we start to see the happy feet. We start to see him bailing. I don't think we're going to see that this week. I don't think the pass rush is so good that we're going to see it affect him so immensely that he can't execute the offense the way that we want to. And that means he's going to be throwing against a secondary that, while I like pieces of it, it's not an elite secondary by any means. And I think, yeah, I guess that's the next place you kind of go look. They're big you know, off-season acquisition these past couple of years and that side has been Shaquille Griffin, Shaq Griffin mm-hmm. to play cornerback coming over from Seattle. He's been good for them. He is not bad, but he still is giving up, you know, 110 QBR rating when he's targeted. Now, he's only given up under eight yards per reception when it is happening. So it's not like he's getting beat like a drum, but you don't want to see your number one corner giving up, you know, of 32 targets, giving up a QB rating that high. So he is still able to be attacked. And outside of him, it's a bunch of young guys, you know, Tyson Campbell, they have Andre Cisco playing there in the secondary. I think Monteric Brown, a rookie out of in, uh, Arkansas has gotten some run for him this year. So like they have guys, they have highly drafted guys. They have names that people should know, but I don't know if anybody is particularly having a difficult time finding space against the secondary, whether they, when they're in man coverage, yes, they have the ability to lock down really quality receivers. They also have the ability to have any one of them kind of get beat on any given play. And then same thing when they're playing in zone, it's a young defense. They have plenty of blown coverages left and right. When they play zone, there's a lot of open guys across the field working vertically. So as long as the pass protection holds up, it's the same thing on the other side of the ball. I, if the pass protection can hold up, I really don't think the Jaguars secondary should be able to do what the Titans secondary did to the Chiefs. Now, is it going to be like it was versus the 49ers in terms of playing against man coverage? No, there won't be that many open receivers. It won't be that bad. But I also think you're getting a clear step back from what the Titans were able to do. And that's even before you get to the whole point of the coaching staff for the Jaguars defense not being on the same level of Mike Rabel's. No, definitely not. Vrabel always has a great plan that comes out. And this Jaguars team, the the defense, at least at the point that the Chiefs played them, isn't as good as the or as the Colts defense was. Like the that Colts defense was was scary good at that point of the year. So I do think that of the AFC West or South teams that they played so far, this is by far the worst defense from a matchup perspective for the Chiefs. Certainly there are metrics that the Jaguars are better than, but I 
also wonder, and I know that we're going to see plenty of Travis Kelsey, plenty of Juju Smith-Schuster. I think we're going to see plenty of Kadarius Toney with McCole Hardman potentially missing this game. And even if he doesn't, I imagine he'll be limited. An abdominal strain is nothing to like sniff at. Like he's going to be hit if he, if he has the ball. So they're they're going to. I, I imagine they're going to limit his workload a little bit. We'll see more Tony. We'll see more of that. I'm wondering, Matty, if we see a little more heavy personnel. Um, I, the Chiefs have used it sporadically. I mean, they Andy Reid still loves to use 12 personnel plenty. The Jaguars will get into their base defense in a hurry. And I know I just said that Devin Lloyd has been better than expected, but he's still not been elite in coverage. Like that, he he has struggled very much with that. And he's also, you know, probably the better of the two between Foisad Olokun and him. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like both of those guys are kind of about on the same level and the Chiefs are going to want to use some of their guys across the middle of the field there. Andre Sisco can certainly play top down. They like to play a lot of quarters, so that's not a problem for them at all. But I imagine that Travis Kelsey is going to see plenty of matchups in 12 personnel looks and Noah Gray as well against those linebackers. And I think that's a very exploitable matchup for the Chiefs this week because those two guys aren't great coverage defenders. Here's, I guess, where my struggle for how the Chiefs should attack the Jaguars defense and really any defense. Um, mm-hmm. We have we is Jody Fortson practicing again, right? Or do we? Do we oh, know anyone? I believe I haven't paid attention. I, I'm doing yeah, great keep, at this. Keep, um, keep talking. If, <laughs> okay, let's just operate under the assumption that Jody Fortson can't play. When the Chiefs go heavy, that means you're putting Noah Gray and Justin Watson out there, which is essentially mm-hmm. what they did to the Titans. And the Titans had no real qualms dealing with that vertically. The, the Titans had no qualms dealing with that in the passing game. Now, I don't think so. Jody Fortson is full practicing right now. We just got word from producer by the foot, Jordan Foot, back behind the scenes here. Um, so whether for now, this doesn't really change my point, so I probably shouldn't have brought it up. When the Chiefs <laughs> go into their heavy personnel, what does it matter? Nobody, like Jody Fortson, Noah Gray, Justin Watson, it doesn't matter who it is, right? It doesn't matter which one of the two it is. Teams don't get any fear from them as receivers. So you're going to go out there. You're going to be in a heavy personnel. They're still going to play you like you're in a heavy personnel. And then they're okay with Devin Lloyd covering one of those guys. They're okay with Andre Sisco picking up Justin Watson or Noah Gray vertically. Like they, they don't care. They, there's no concern about that. I guess with the Jaguars, they're an odd front team. So maybe you could pull them out into having, three defensive linemen plus Josh Allen and Trevon Walker on the field all at the same time. Like you get a little bit of a bonus there. It's just the chiefs heavy personnel because the run game can't be consistent because their run game is relatively useless. It does. It does. doesn't do them any good. I think we all wanted to see them go heavy, but when they go heavy, when they don't go heavy, it doesn't matter. The run game doesn't work. Now they're just putting lesser athletes on the field for the run game to still not work. I don't think it matters what you match them with. And especially if we're going to operate under the assumption of McCole Hardman's not available, who's mm-hmm. clearly their most dynamic player, has been their most dynamic receiver so far this season, you remove him from, from the potential mix and match here too. Like, what are, who are you creating space for? For I love him, but Juju Smith-Schuster to barrel for eight yards, for MVS to attempt to run, you know, a, a 10-yard outright. Like, you're creating space for guys that – can't really maximize that space with the lesser athletes out there. Isaiah Pacheco wheel routes, baby. No, let me take that back. Michael Burton wheel routes, baby. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, no, it's just that's that's the conundrum I think I the mean, Chiefs have come up with. Right. So 
on my my perspective, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but like I don't want McCool Hardman to be out because I think he situationally makes the Chiefs better. However, mm-hmm. I do think with a week or even two weeks of preparing for a game without him, I think they can very much mask what he brings with Tony working the behind the line of scrimmage stuff, getting into some of his shallower routes, hopefully Sky Moore or just Justin Watson, whoever they want running some of the vertical stuff. I think they can mask the majority of what McCole Hardman does. I'd be interested to see a Sky Moore and a Kadarius Tony be forced into that larger role rather than to lose Hardman and be like, okay, now we're just going to play heavy where we're not really gaining any advantage because we still can't run the ball if he's unable to go. Like that's just where I would stand on that whole situation. I and I don't disagree. I also wonder if Andy Reid trusts the playbook and trusts <sighs> those dudes that have been there for a while, which brings up my next point. How much of the playbook do we see this week? Um, we have seen Andy Reid open it up a little bit more, try and take advantage of things against good defenses. And we just got done saying this defense isn't necessarily a great defense by any means. It's got holes in it all over the place. Is he going to protect some plays? Are we going to see him kind of keep things close to the vest? This, this Jaguars team does not appear that they are going to be a playoff team. I think the Titans would have to have a severe collapse for that to happen here. Now, they played a lot of competitive games. I don't know that Andy Reid is turning on the tape and saying, hey, listen, we're just going to be able to line up and do our normal thing and know that we can execute enough to beat them. It may not cover the spread, but we know we can do enough. Or does he turn on the games like we are and say, man, there are drives where they're all over the place. There are drives where they start this game and on the offensive side of the ball and they're able to score at will. And then this defense is coming up with stops. Do we see him pull out the stops a little bit more? Do we see it beyond the first 15 this week because this is probably not a playoff team? Or are we going to see another situation where Andy keeps it kind of vanilla? We see kind of frustrating second and long runs. Uh, the scheme stuff that we don't necessarily think is matching what the what the uh, what the Jaguars are going to do. What do you think? What, what's going to happen this week? Is there an AFC team? It is an AFC team. Yes. You're not you're not getting wide open, Andy. <laughs> There's just no chance you're getting wide open, Andy. Here, um, I think. It, I will also counter with this as well, or put this in there. I think that the Jaguars are a team that Andy Reid probably feels and probably should feel like his guys can go out there and execute whatever the base level game plan, whatever the basic installs, plus his few designer plays that he wants to call, that he wants to put on film. He should. He feels like this team should be able to go out there and out, out execute them based on that. He does not need to be surgical in what he calls and his game plan to beat this team. Do I agree with it necessarily? No. Do I like the philosophy? No. But we've watched Andy Reid for a a decade now here with the Chiefs, right? Like, this is kind of what he does. When he goes into these games, especially where he doesn't want to show something and he wants to keep things a little bit protected, I think just generally being an AFC team that has a chance to get into the playoff picture, he doesn't want them to be able to go back to this game and be like, okay, this is what they did to us. I think you get not a generic game script, but I think you you don't get the 49ers. You don't get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where it is just precision and surgical attacking that specific defense. You are going to get an Arizona Cardinals level thing where it's like, yeah, here's a lot of what we can do. Now watch us do it. Man. I, I just think it, we, th- these AFC South matchups are clearly killing this fan base. <laughs> they are. I, I mean, and fortunately... 
the Chiefs have the Jags and the Texans on the back end, the two the two worst teams in this division, right? Well, I don't know, man. That, that Colts team is rough, but at the time yeah. the Chiefs played them, that that Colts team is better than they are right now. So we'll see how the AFC South goes. Those two players to watch, Maddie. Who you got first, bud? Oh, put me on the spot first. Uh we we mentioned him, and it's just because okay, we don't know what it's going to be, right? Like, uh, go, I'll go back. I'll go with Kadarius Tony again. Um, mm-hmm. Kent did him last week. I'll bring him back up just because. Right now, I don't know. I don't feel confident that McCole Hardman is going to play. I don't feel confident he's going to get out there. And if again, going back to that same point, if you're Andy Reid and this Chiefs coaching staff, do you need McCole Hardman and what he's brought for the team, which has been situationally important? But I do you anticipate needing that for this game to win? I don't think so. Go ahead and give him some rest. And along with giving him rest, you let somebody else that's new to the team maybe pick up a few more reps. So, or heck, even if McColl plays, we still saw Darius Tone. He got three targets on nine snaps or whatever it was. So let's see that go up. Let's see what he can do. Maybe he runs something beyond five yards this week. My guy to watch is going to be Orlando Brown Jr. Um, Josh Allen and Trevon Walker are not great matchups for Orlando Brown Jr. And I know we got done talking about Orlando Brown Jr. earlier this week and how, you know, a lot of people put a lot of stuff at his feet this week and we didn't necessarily agree with that. I thought he was pretty okay. Um how does he look against more explosive guys? Bendier guys that can turn the corner at 8 yards. He's going to have to get into a set, get up the arc a little bit quicker than we've seen him this season. And it hasn't looked good when he's played against guys that could do that against him. Um, whether that be the injury, whether it be something that's going on with him right now, or whether that not be part of his full game. I think that this is a big test for Orlando Brown Jr. I just got done saying his pass rush doesn't terrify me because I don't think they can consistently beat him. I definitely believe that. However, these are guys that have elements that Orlando Brown Jr. has struggled with before that speed up the arc if he can lean on him a little bit more push him a little bit wider I feel very confident in this passing offense if not could be a very long day for this all right prediction time Maddie I'm gonna let you kick off first buddy Okay, so I wanted to touch back on this too with the I think the Jaguars offense will be able to move the ball I think they're pretty good at it the problem is I think they kind of get it stale. They kind of falter when it comes to the red zone. So especially in that first and third quarter, when uh, when they start driving down the field using Doug Peterson's fun plays and this offense is clicking, when they get to the red zone, can the Chiefs hold them to threes? Can the Chiefs force some turnovers? The Jaguars, they're okay at scoring touchdowns coming out of the red zone. They're like a, they're a middle-of-the-pack red zone scoring offense, right? So can the Chiefs keep them out of the end zone when they're driving down the field? Because I do think they'll find some success. On the flip side... I don't think the Jaguars are going to be able to stop the Chiefs very well. I really don't see, I don't like that matchup for them. I get where you're coming from with Josh Allen being a bad matchup and Javon Walker, but I don't see either one of those guys as elite speed, deep up the arc rushers either. And that's really where the Chiefs get in a lot of trouble. So I almost feel better about this particular matchup, even though they're good players. I almost feel okay about that pass rush, giving Mahomes time and the Chiefs' weapons versus the secondary. So I think both teams will be able to move the ball. It's about whoever's going to execute better on third downs and in the red zone. And am I going to trust the team that we've spent this whole time saying they just kind of find a way to shoot themselves in the foot and not get it done? Or am I going to take the team that has hosted four straight AFC championship games when that happens? Give me the Chiefs. I'm going to take this one off 31 to 24. The Chiefs take it. 
I, and I love how close you predicted that because I'm going with another close score as well. This Jaguars team is hard to kill. They they really are hard to kill. And part of that is the way that they play in the first and third quarters. Part of that is just their overall explosive nature. You know, you get that many athletes picked that many times in the early part of the draft. You get guys that move different than everybody else that can kind of close the gaps and take away some angles that maybe are typically there. Now, I do think that the Chiefs are by far the better team here. I think they got the better offense. I Honestly, I think that they've got the better defense. I really do, because that secondary with Trent McDuffie back there is so much better. Keep a lid on things. I think we're going to see the defense hold up their, their end of the bargain, but I do. I generally believe that the Jaguars are going to move the ball we are going to see points on the board. I think this is a lower scoring game than that, Maddie. I'm going to go Chiefs 24, Jaguars 20, and a kind of ugly game that nobody wow, really looks particularly good. I Listen, man, we just got done with a Titans team that he threw for 446 yards and only put up 20 points. So I'm going 24-20, Chiefs win. And a game that's a lot closer than any of us want it to be. But at least we're not going to be staying up late on a Sunday night on an overtime oh. game. Why'd you remind me? That's going to do it for the KC Laboratory for this week. Stay tuned, like, share, subscribe. Stay tuned to everything we've got going on. We're going to have more content leading up to the Jaguars game. And we will be live right after the Jaguars game for the postgame show. Be kind to each other, and we will catch you later. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com